folks, this episode of the Redneck Country Podcast is brought to you by OutdoorFunctions.com. OutdoorFunctions.com is an online calendar-based system where you can go on, scroll month to month to month so that you ensure you don't miss any kind of outdoor function coming down the pipe. Anything from clinics to banquets to fundraisers to gun club events, whether it's practices or competitions, folks, they're all on there. Head on over to OutdoorFunctions.com and take a look. You can even sort by the type of event you want to look for. At this point in time, they have completely wiped their calendar due to COVID to ensure all the events that are posted there are truly happening. And therefore, folks, they need your help to rebuild it for free. Go on and hit the event submission button on the top right and be able to put your event in there to start to populate this calendar back up post-COVID so that we can all get back out and enjoy the outdoors together. So folks, spread your wings, try some outdoor events, and please be sure to check out www.outdoorfunctions.com. Hey folks, welcome to the Redneck Country Podcast. You are on, we got a special treat tonight, but you are on with Real Redneck Todd Millard right here. We got Bill, Tom, Bill, are you there? Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the podcast tonight. And Bill is there, the almost guy, and... Why I say we have a big treat tonight is because we have, again, the patriarch of Redneck Country, my father, only this time because of technical pains in the butts, we'll call them, and, and glitches and all kinds of sound hissing, popping. It drives us insane, and anybody that's listened when he's on maybe has the same problem, too, but it, it drives us insane. Just absolutely. Not me. Makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> butt, butt kiss. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the patriarch, real redneck, Don Millard, my dad, and he is sitting right here beside me. Dad? Yeah, I'm in the office. This is awesome. There's duck pictures on the wall, pheasants on the wall, guitars on the wall, and gummy sour worms on the desk. Like, I'm in heaven. <laughs> Pool table right behind me. This is awesome. I am right here in Clay Crusher. Redneck country, the whole gambit. Oh, good grief. We are close quarters, folks. So <laughs> you, you, you won't see, video killed the radio star, so you won't see fists flying, but you may hear them. <laughs> so. And I'm out, I'm out here enjoying the, the summer, peace, quiet. I got lots of room over here. If you guys want to come over, I got enough room for social distancing and the whole works. <laughs> he's, he's on his way, Bill. How long do you want him? Three months? Four months? <laughs> Send him down. Yeah. Open him to work. He's coming with an apology note for Candace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's sitting right beside me. I can get away with these. Okay, Bill. What did you do this week? This week? Yeah, good week. We were uh, not doing too much in the outdoors. I had to, had to work on Saturday, but when I got home, much, much more progress on uh, the boat project, which uh, is coming along quite well. You've got to be got, almost done that thing by now. Well, yeah, this is where I'm at. I got uh, this weekend, my parents are coming down. They uh, just took. Uh, um, uh, purchase on their their new their Winnebago, so they're ang- anxious to get that on the road and uh, set up shop in our, our driveway for uh, the weekend. So it's nice because uh, the social distancing thing is going to work because they have their own house. They bring it with them, park it in my driveway, and so my dad is carpenter by trade, fantastic woodworker. He's, he does amazing work, and he's going to help me with the flooring in the uh in the boat so hunter will be out there learning and with three generations working on the boat this weekend and it'll be some uh, some good times i'm sure there'll be a, a tool or two maybe tossed around but patience will be there and, and everything will be good so yeah right on 
yeah, so yeah, it was good. It's good, good week. Uh, I got all my my bits and pieces and, and stuff uh, finally delivered. Amazon. I'm sure the the guy has got a my my house on speed dial here. He's just been, been to my house so cruise, much. But. Cruise control. It takes it to another level. It just ends up at your door. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, I went online to track the package, and I didn't realize they have a picture of my front door right there with the package, so I can tell. <laughs> hey, hey, Hunter, wake up. The package is at the front door. Go pick it up, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, so I, I got a question. What? And, and now that we've got your dad in the room, I was just wondering how the, the project went from your dad's perspective on the building of the shed. <laughs> I don't think, well, and microphone is... We got some technical. Sit back. <laughs> sit back, dude. Put my hand over his mouth. He's, he's just pushed me back in the chair. I don't know if I like this. Put my hand right over his mouth. No I can actually, master. I can actually get in on this one. No longer master of my own domain. This is fantastic because you had absolutely no idea I was going to ask that question. No, <laughs> we, I don't have half the clue that's going on on this podcast on a on a good day. Right <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, Bill. It's just the way I pictured it. I had pictured this. You're welcome. Shed, and it's just the way I pictured it. Rustic, the, the, the hemlock boards, raw boards, and and uh, the, the little deck out front, the porch out front with the overhang. And, oh, it's just awesome. I've just been enjoying a full week of putting stuff in there and hanging stuff up. It, it just came out terrific. However, I did listen to the last podcast, and uh, he was wrong most of the time. So you know, that's what I figured, but I wanted to put you on the spot just to try to clear the air a little bit because I got a one-sided story, and I'm pretty yeah. sure there was another side Let to it. Let me tell you, that I will say that the fact that he kept saying he wanted a rustic-looking cottage is saved our bacon because every time he screwed up, we could just go, well, it's rustic. <laughs> there, was, there was one board. We cut it to fit perfect. And he, I heard him say under his breath to my wife, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. He cut this one perfect. <laughs> and I said, One okay. board out of 4,863. I said, okay, we're not going for perfect. What about the half I cut off? Well, the half you cut off is three-quarters of an inch too wide. Perfect. Put that in there because that gives us a ledge sticking out, and that looks rustic. So I actually put the, <laughs> put the half yeah. in there we didn't use. <laughs> that was planned. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That was cool. <laughs> It's great when a plan comes together. That's, oh that's really good. Oh, my gosh. What have I gotten into? Yeah. No, it was awesome. But this week, I've just enjoyed being in the yard. Uh, everything's been handy. Uh, I think I said on one podcast that Todd's girls planted some cucumbers and squash in our backyard, and we got a big squash coming. And this week, they harvested four cucumbers. And Avery was nice. excited that she couldn't believe. She kept saying we have cucumbers already. And Speedy, uh, Speedy Auto Glass in St. Thomas here, they host every Wednesday a virtual car show. What you do is, I wish your car was ready and down here, because you take your car up to them. They take a picture in front of their building with the Speedy sign, and they put it on this giant digital, uh, I don't know what you call a billboard, but it's a screen, a, a, cam a television screen outside. It's huge. And they put it on the side of their building. And every Wednesday, they play a loop of all the cars that have gone in and uh, had their picture taken. So my wife and I went up and sat next door in the sub shop parking lot and watched the virtual car show and until my car showed up. And, and we watched it a couple of times. And so it was, it was cool. Nice. Yeah. So you actually did that? You took yes. you went up there and watched a virtual car show? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So anybody can take their car up, get a picture, and they'll they'll add it to the loop. And every Wednesday, it's a virtual car show. When you're coming down Talbot Street, Main Street in St. Thomas, there's Speedy's <laughs> giant sign out there, and the cars are rotating. <laughs> yeah. are looping and you're like, hey, there's my classic. <laughs> as you crash into the sign. <laughs> <laughs> you know, good you guys can get out there and still be cruising. And the weather has been perfect for it over the last week, for sure. Oh, yeah. Really nice. So Todd, you uh, how are you doing this week? Well, I'm doing all right. We uh, been working probably a lot, but aside from that, I've been doing pretty good. I can't complain. The, uh, what else? What do we get up to, Dad? Because really, it's that or well, well, we did com- we did some uh, sporting clay last Sunday we did, again. We did do shooting. We did shooting, and I actually I sent Dad over to get me. I'm redoing. Uh, I guess that is something to, to say. I'm redoing, I think I shared it uh, a little bit ago. I'm redoing one of my old trap guns with the, uh, under the guise that my daughters can shoot it. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I've actually found a place that's going to nickel plate the receiver. I found a place that's going to Cerakote the barrel and have clay crusher Cerakoted in orange down it as well. Uh, on top that'll of the, nice. yeah, that'll look pretty cool. On top of the regular, I've ordered an orange, uh, butt pad custom from Italy and I'm going to have them coat the choke tube, orange. And then I've got uh, Dad. I sent Dad over because we found a Gracoil uh, shock system to put on it. And so there's not many of those around, and especially with the state we're in. I'm not sure how shipping is happening. So they launched over there today for me and grabbed that. And then, uh, so yeah, it's yeah. it's. it's uh, I'm a little confused. Uh, your wife is a very, very smart woman. How did you get all this pastor? <laughs> I've had on the premise that it's for your girls. Well, and she kind of seen through that, so I had to sell. <laughs> yeah. I had to sell a couple guitars. Oh, you did. As I hang my yes, as I hang my head. Now, oh. in it, 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 with complete transparency, I have thir- ha- had. Oh, I had thirteen guitars, and so at eleven, she said, "No more in." until one goes out i'm cutting you off <laughs> at 11 guitars and so i found some good deals on number 12 and number 13 with the guys that yeah 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna sell these ones to get these ones it's okay and so i never did but now that this has come up it was you sell those two guitars and then we're okay so i did i have sold one and now the other one, I've had some hits on it, but I'm just waiting for the right deal to come along. But it is up for sale as well. It may, it may take a couple of years for that right deal it's, to come along, I'm imagining. It's not the first time they've been for sale. It's just, <laughs> she doesn't know the value, so you jack the price that nobody wants to buy them anyway. It's like, I'm trying. Yeah. I guess the market's just not there. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, it's tough time to sell stuff these days, you know? Yeah, yeah you know, it, I agree. I agree. You're lucky she doesn't listen. That's all I got to say. I was just going to say that. But yeah, so that's kind of... On the side of work, and that's kind of what I've been doing. I mean, I've been working on that that BT ninety nine. I, I redone the stock on it, and and my gun, I got it in for a pit stop, so I redid the stock on mine, just refinished it, and now it's in getting uh, getting a tune up done. So I should have it back soon on my trap gun, and then. But that leads me to yes, we we went sporting clay shooting on Sunday. Uh, me and Dad and uh, our, a buddy of ours on Redneck Country, uh, Sean Diomera. And, and his dad came along and dad's buddy, Bill, real redneck, Bill Vokes. And so, yeah, we went out and had a good time. It was, it was. You guys were getting, getting the hang of it and, and learning the targets better and, and 
Uh, I saw you guys crushing a bunch of them, but well, you know that was more your dad than you. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I have to run the camera, so yeah. yeah. And whenever yeah, I hand it off, I get shoes. I'm like, here, just all you gotta do is hit the red button, and then I look back. I'm like, oh, I just crushed all ten of those. Nothing but ink balls, I might add. And then I go back and I look, and it's just pictures of my shoes. My shoes look good, but yeah, they're orange. <laughs> so, but yes, we did that. But no, I uh, I didn't have my gun, and so the last time we talked shotguns. I did say that, you know, guys were giving me a, a little bit of hard time because I'm shooting a trap gun at sporting clays and I'm a trap shooter. And in order to be a sporting clay shooter, you got to have a sporting clay gun and your trap gun. I shoot like 120 percent high, maybe a bit more. Now I've raised it a bit. And so and, and we can get into that. I went through it the last time uh, we talked about shotguns uh, on the podcast about shooting high. So my trap gun shoots quite a bit high. And uh, so this time I didn't have it. So, uh, and then we had just made a road trip in, down to uh, Hummison's to buy a whole bunch of, of shotgun shells. And I didn't want to use any because they're just freshly bought and I ran out of reloads. So I did have a couple flats of 20 gauge. So I said to dad, grab that rabbit gun for me and I'll shoot the 20 gauge rabbit gun, which I could shoot some rabbits with it. So I figured I knew where it shot. I'm good. But it kind of proved out my theory on when I ran... With my trap gun the last time, I ran uh, an 89. And so, which I, and, and again, I, I think I said I don't concentrate. I'd love to know what I get. When, if, if I actually concentrated, like I do when I go to a trap contest, what I would shoot versus me joking around and screwing around because it's, it's sporting clays is so social. You're with everybody. Half the time, I don't even see the, the presentation pair because I'm back talking to the group behind us or whatever. And, and or we're waiting and I got to catch up to them. And so because I'm talking to whoever and uh, I have a hard time believing that. Yeah, right? I still do, you know, <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure if I'm there, people know I'm there. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I I got out that 20 gauge and I think I've proven it that with my trap gun, I just know where it shoots. And I think I, I said that the last time is the, the most important thing for, for shooting any kind of clay target game is you got to stare at the target, focus on the target, and take everything out of your mind. Because that coupled with you got to know where your gun shoots. And it's just instinct. Knowing where your gun needs to be on that target, and it blows it up. And so, again, shot an 89 with my, with my trap gun, and this time was horrible. Now, I only had 7 8 ounces a shot versus the 1 and an eighth ounce a shot uh, because it was a 20 gauge, but, oh, my gosh, did I struggle. So I got questions. And uh, from the 20 gauge to the 12 gauge, what are you using for choke tubes? Are so, you, you? Yeah, well, it, so this, depending on the course, for the the – for this course, there's not a whole lot of uh, targets that are over, what, Dad, 35 yards, 40 yeah. yards. Yeah. And it, the theory is if you get one that's out there starting close and going out or or coming to you, use skeet and wait or use skeet and shoot fast. <laughs> so okay. I, I've been using skeet chokes. Now, this 20-gauge is fixed chokes with improved cylinder and modified. Am mm -hmm. I right? All right. And one You're going to have to back right up. Modified. You're going to have to back right up because I think this leads into a few of my questions. Now we're, we're starting to talk a little bit about shotguns. For the guys that are out there that don't or don't have as much shotgun knowledge as you guys, explain to me, uh, you know, is, is uh, light modified uh, more pattern or less pattern than improved cylinder? Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. you talk so, skeed. What is that? So when, that you, when you get into this any kind of clay game now, because like anything – as it progresses, it's got to go from hobby 
to sophistication, I feel, in everything nowadays. Like when I played hockey, you bought a $14 hockey stick. That was that was a good stick. Now they're 400 It was wood. It, what's that? <laughs> and it was wood. And it was wood. Yeah. Now they're $400 and they got the flex rating. And I'm like, come yeah. on. Well, it's yeah. no different now. So, yes, choke tubes back in the day or fixed chokes, even before choke tubes, were not known by their constriction value with a micrometer and the thou. It was known as cylinder, which was pretty stinking wide open. It was then improved cylinder, which is a little bit tighter. And then you went to uh, back then. So I'm all and I'll get to I'll get to future or present time. But then it went modified and then it went full. And dad, you didn't really know any other choke tubes or choke constrictions other than those. Right. That's that right. was pretty much it. Cylinder, improved cylinder, uh, modified full. In my day, you didn't even have choke tubes. You ordered the barrel. If you ordered a double, you ordered the barrels choked the way you wanted. Right. Them. Right. So how did you know? How did you know that you wanted to buy improved cylinder or, or full when, okay, when you were buying a, a gun? I bought an Ithaca double, short barrels, 20, I think, what are they, 24, 25 inch barrels. And so, side by I, side. This was, yeah, side by side. So, this was a, um, a rabbit gun, rabbit grouse gun, and it, it's for handling in the bush and tight places. It's short, swings quick. And so, I wanted it, um, imp- I wanted it improved cylinder. And modified open chokes because you're going to shoot close range. And then I bought the longer barreled. I think they're 28. Same gun, but longer barreled. And I bought it modified and full. Oh, so there you go. I was shooting modified and full. Yeah. <laughs> there. Oh, there you go. I got an excuse. <laughs> yeah. And a 20 gauge. With a 20 gauge, that's still not a lot of shot in your pattern. Not like a 12. But uh, I, I, I shot for years. I shot that little short one at Rabbits, and Todd always liked the longer one because he could swing it better. And I like a longer barrel no matter what I do because short barrels swing quick. Longer barrels slow you down and make you smoother. And so if you have any hesitation at all, a longer barrel is going to help you a little bit. And that's why a lot of these guys go in turkey hunting. They want these short little barrels to go in the woods because they say that they're easier and that always befuddled me because when we first started turkey hunting you wanted a longer barrel you wanted a really tight pattern so you could reach out and touch them so if they only came to 45 yards you were still shooting a really tight because you're you're using extra full choke and then you're shooting a little short barrel well that wad's gonna come out of that barrel at only 24 inches and bust away from the shot quicker which starts to open your pattern faster whether you're shooting through an extra full choke or not you put that down a 34 inch barrel well now you've got that extra length you've got that extra oomph now you put it through an extra full choke you're gonna have a lot tighter pattern a lot further out there which is when you go to these turkey shoots that they used to have quite a bit and stuff you'd get guys coming with professionally turned down 36 inch barrels that they'd blow a hole right through the paper at 40 yards like you were shooting a slug and so yeah. that's why these guys they they, they want to shoot short barrels and I, I don't i never understood that when these all, uh, short barrel ideas came out and I, oh this this 870 is for turkey because it's only got a 24 inch barrel i'm like 24 inch barrel on 870 that's a rabbit gun because you're in and you're shooting close like shooting skeet right like the targets are close and turkeys, yeah. 
I want to reach out and poke them. That's why you got the extra full. So it's almost like a contradictory to me. And then when, when you swing, you can swing a short barrel really quick. So a rabbit busts really close. You got a short barrel, open pattern, swing fast. Well, even for me, I wanted to take a little bit extra time on the rabbit. So I like a longer barrel. It slows me down. But I come from dad introduced me to shotguns with trap shooting. Trap shooting, the norm is 34 inches on a, on a singles barrel, right? And so to me, I always wanted it. When I bought my first waterfowl gun, I bought a, an 870 off of a gentleman with a 34-inch barrel that had straight rifling in it so that it would keep a tight pattern out there. And I mean, it would kill geese, no problem. And then took that turkey hunting, and I shot a turkey at 45 yards, 40, 48 yards, and... When I took it to the taxidermist, my very first turkey I killed with that gun, and I took it to the taxidermist, and he said, holy jeez, how close was he? Five yards? And I said, he was 45 plus. No way. And he argued, no, absolutely, David. He was, he was 45 plus yards when I pulled that trigger. There's no way. You messed him up right here. Look at this. It was just like he's five yards. Wait till they get out there. I'm like, no, because that was a long barrel, straight rifling, extra full choke. And that thing, I mean, it holds a pattern. I still have it today. I just don't use it. Yeah. But it holds a pattern. And so that's that's why short barrel versus long barrel. And I always like a long barrel. When I bought my 870, after that 870, I bought that one used. I bought a brand new 870 because um, I wanted three and a half inches only because they don't make four inches. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I bought uh, the, another 870 and they just for a few years, they had a, a waterfowl edition, which had a 30 inch barrel on it. And it's the only 870 had a 38 or a 30 inch. The rest started at 28 and, and 26 was pretty common. And so I jumped on that. When I found one, I jumped on that 30 inch 870 with a full camo max four pattern, with the uh, with a thirty inch barrel and choke tubes and three and a half inch and that's I want that longer barrel. That's just I don't know why anybody shoots a short barrel with the you could swing way too fast, swing by way too much. And I've never shot a duck at ten yards uh, as often as I've shot geese at thirty yards. So, yeah. so I, I back to it. Like, sorry, Bill. Go ahead. Sorry. Like Go ahead. Say, Say one thing, and then I'm going to let you guys talk chokes because I'm from the old school. I own three <laughs> target guns, and they're all three of those. They're Winchester Model 101 Diamond Grades. Uh, my main trap gun is a single barrel, unsingle. That means it's got uh, a rib in place of the top barrel. It's a high rib, and it's choked full, uh, fixed full, no choke tubes. And I shoot it singles and handicap, and that's all I shoot. So. And, that's 16 yards and then whatever your handicap is all the way back to 27 yeah. yards. So he starts it. So he's shooting 16 yards with a full choke where I just to interrupt shooting six from 16 yards and trap with a light modified. So op more open than modified in between improved cylinder and modified. Okay. Carry on. Now, some of the guys that I've been shooting with still club members out there, I've been shooting for 45 years with them. And they've even said to me, we don't take much into this, change and choke stuff, do we, Don? I said, no, we've always just had fixed full and we've learned to shoot them and just stuck with them. Now, I do own an over and under Winchester 101 diamond grade for doubles and it's fixed full in the top barrel and it does have a choke tube in the bottom, but I only own one choke tube and it's modified because in doubles, you shoot that first one right out of the trap house as quick as you can. It's a choke tube modified and then the top barrel's full. That's it. I don't change it. 
Now, my sporting clay skeet gun, it's a, it's a double, and every set of barrels are choked skeet and skeet. They're fixed, no choke tubes. I can change the gauge, but I can't change the choke. And that's all I shoot. Now, I noticed Sunday when we were out at the at Otter Valley at the Sporting Clay Range, you wouldn't be, your group wouldn't be quite done yet when the group behind you was coming up to shoot that station. So then they would read what the targets are, you know, true pairs and which one you shoot first and where they're coming from. And I noticed that a couple of the guys, they, they decided, okay, I got to shoot this one first and then that one. What's the presentation on each target? Is it coming at me? Is it going away? Is it is it high? Is it coming down? And they were changing choke tubes in both barrels every single station that they shot at to optimize the pattern. Well, I, not me. I just shot the gun I took, and that was it. So, and that, that's something to be said for really knowing how that pattern performs at the distance that those targets are presented to you. That's a lot of memory work for, well, for somebody that you just... And some people argue it's way too much thinking because you should be thinking about the target, not about changing chokes and everything else. Yeah. And it becomes a mental... When you become so good at sporting clays and not that anybody that... Uh, any of us are at that level, but... I'm friends with David Radulovich on Facebook, just on Facebook. Uh, love to say that I'm, I'm personal friends, but just on Facebook. If anybody wants to know him, I won't say too much. Just look him up. World champ, like everything. Yeah, the guy is un, almost untouchable when it comes to the sporting clay world. And uh, so I messaged him last year and I said, OK, I'm going to get into this sporting clay just a little bit. Uh, can I pick your brain? He says, absolutely. And so I, I was appreciative because I know... He's a professional coach, and that's how he makes his living. So I'm kind of treading on thin ice with doing this, right? And I imagine he gets 50 million questions a day. But I said, and it was right after he won the Worlds over in, I can't even remember where it was, some someplace half across the world. But I said to him, okay, A, choke tubes, what do you shoot? Do you change them every station when you see what the target is? Because some of the, when he hits these courses, he'll come up on a target that it could be a 60-yard crosser and the next one's a 10-yard rabbit. And so I said to him, do you change? And like for us and the sporting clays locally around here, you know, you're averaging 20 yards to, to 40 yards and you don't have really much outside of that where they're going extremes. So I said, do you switch in between stations? You come up and you see that presentation, do you switch? And then I wanna know, do you switch shot? Do you switch shot sizes? Do you switch loads? Like, yeah, like how deep do you take this? How technical do you get? And he said, oh, that's a good question. He says, absolutely, I'll answer it. And here's your answer. I shoot from, he's sponsored by Parazzi. He shoots a high tech. And he says, uh, I order that gun. It, uh, it is fixed, light, full both barrels. I shoot one ounce of seven and a half. That's it. I do not change. I don't care if that target's five yards or if it's 75 yards. If you're on the target, it's going to break. And I don't want that messing up my thought process in between stations looking at the target. I'm too busy figuring out my break points. I ain't worried about what chokes in because I know yeah. if I'm on it, I'm on it. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. It's, it's, getting, it's getting crushed. So that food for thought, he did say that. So yeah, that, that would be where I'd be at too. Not to say that I'm anywhere close to your level or those guys level, but I wouldn't want that many variables screwing with my head while I'm thinking about, did I put the right choke tube in when the target's being presented to me? And I'm just thinking about sea orange, break orange or whatever color it, it is. Cause they're not all orange. It is sporting clay. No, not always. <laughs> sporting in clay world. So, but uh, yeah, no, it's, 
it's an interesting uh, uh, dynamic of what people would want to go with the the highly interchangeable screw with everything per station or just put the gun up, know where it shoots, be confident in your ammunition and the choke that you selected and uh, go, go, go shoot some, some targets, right? Yeah. Yeah. And really see orange, break orange. You got it. Yeah. Now, hunting is different using this steel, and I'll just mention this and then get off because we're not going to talk hunting, but in my goose gun, I shoot a modified choke because it's steel, and I shoot number twos, and these guys shoot BBs. So if I want to shoot bigger shot, my gun will not shoot a good pattern with BBs unless I change and put an even more open choke in that gun. And so I just stick with number twos and modified choke because I know I got a good pattern. And if I'm going to shoot BBs, and Todd will tell you, you using a more open choke in yours, don't you? What do you yeah, use? Yeah, well, and that's that's good. And I think we do need to talk hunting then because because we're, we're talking choke tubes, which and this podcast can relate to those. And I know when we get closer to waterfowl, we got a lot of topics to cover in waterfowl because oh, yeah. that's like For sure. that's our love. But um, but yeah, no, no, no. So I noticed. So when I started hunting geese and ducks, Dad was a smaller shot kind of guy. So he would say, you know, he used he come from hunting ducks and stuff with what fours and stuff back in the day, yeah. but lead sixes even because it, it was lead with lead. But he still had that target thought process or the the duck back in the day lead process thought process where smaller shot gives you more pellets, so your pattern's bigger and it only takes a couple pellets to kill a duck. So he would say, you know, let's use fours, and okay, we did. And then we went to twos, and we started notice, noticing that the That's cripple, the cripple uh, numbers started dropping, right? Which was good. So then we went down to ah, well, Dad stayed there. Dad, you still shoot twos, right? Yeah, I shoot twos. So he shoots twos, and he shoots a modified choke, which for steel is typically full. And they say that right. because the friction that steel makes going down your barrels, it's not as soft as lead. And so lead going down your barrel, it will be able to get together better and form coming through that choke tube and the friction stays within inside that shot where with steel it coming down your barrel they don't like to play together not soft right so the problem there is they heat up and coming down and they'll bulge your barrel trying to put them through too tight a constriction so modified for steel is technically full so when i switch to bb's because i wanted i went wow twos give a better kill ratio to cripple which, I mean, that's what everybody wants. You don't want to be having yeah, to put another shot once they're down or chasing them across the field. No. And, oh, uh, they run into a cornfield, stand in cornfield. And, uh, nobody wants that. So, it's worse on water, right? Yeah. Uh, even worse on water. And they start, the ducks will start ducking and diving. And, oh, uh, yeah. it just, it's a nightmare. So, forget that crap. So, okay, I'm going to BBs. So I, I started shooting BBs, and yes, now the kill ratio goes up even greater because the larger shot's going to carry its its uh, energy energy a lot further, right? Uh, better than a smaller or smaller shot size, which is just physics, which I'm not a physicist, but that's just how it is. So kinetic energy carried better because it's heavier, right? Same with bow and arrow. Your arrows, the heavier they are, they carry a better kinetic energy. There's a trade-off, though, with speed. So I'm rolling a fast shell. I roll a 1,550 feet per second steel load for geese, three and a half inch only because they don't make four. And, uh, but I'm running BBs. Well, then we were decoying them so close in the early season that I switched to improved cylinder just for the heck of it. Just thought I'm going improved cylinder because they're, they're close. So that would be like a modified for steel. 
because again, lead, you mean? No, for steel, oh. it would be like a modified for steel because it, with steel, a full is actually a modified, right? So now improved cylinders more like a modified. So I roll in the improved cylinder, and that's when they just started. I mean, forget kill ratio to cripple ratio. Now we're talking triples versus doubles. Yeah. And I can almost remember the first hunt I had a GoPro on my gun and it's on our YouTube channel. I dropped a triple on the first volley that came in and I was like sold. <laughs> Holy geez, improved cylinders where it's at. Scotty switched to improved cylinder and the same for him. So now we shoot BBs with improved cylinder. And even in the late season, I mean, a 30 yard goose, we've dropped them 30, 40 yards. I mean, we take some shots and, and people, that's too far, too far. And that thing comes down. I mean, you're leading it a good four or five feet, but she's dropping. And I tell you what, that's, that's my secret sauce now. And, and I'll argue with anybody, including dad who shoots modified twos. I'm shooting improved cylinder with BBs. And I mean, they're dropping it like it's hot. So that, yeah, it all depends on the load too, right? So you got to figure out what load works best with your with your choke tube and everything else. And with my Caesar, my trap gun, the the load I shoot it patterns really tight with a light mod, and which I, I'm really impressed with how tight it patterns. But you got to remember too, Bill. I'm laying down in one of these layout blinds, and I got this little spring assist board. And when they come in, and then Todd yells, "Take them!" By the time I open them flaps, and I try and set up. Those guys have already got the first shot off, and they're already on their second. So I'm just playing cleanup. So I don't, I don't even worry about them being too close. I just stick with modified and number twos, and I pick the ones that are are going high, or they're going out to the outside, or they're flying away, because that's the only couple of shots I get. By the time I get up and out of the blind, those guys have got their guns empty. You figured they'd call them a little earlier for you, knowing the fact oh, it takes you oh, a while no, no. to get up. We right? call plenty early. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> trust me, trust me. Yeah, and we even wait. We will hold our guns waiting. You, you know what? And lightning is going to strike down that, that because I've heard stories of dove hunting and others where there is no waiting. Birds come, and, and you know what? Three shells are out of your gun before your dad even has one. Yeah, you wonder why he doesn't. You could only, I'm on your side, Don. I completely agree yeah, with what's going on. You can only wait so long before <laughs> yeah. they're out of range. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. So, so there you go. So I was shooting a 20 gauge with modified and full at pretty close target. So I got a pretty good excuse. Well, I mean, if you need one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was, just, that's good. I mean, you guys are, are, are learning and that, that's uh, the best part. When, when do you figure your, uh, your setup will be back together and you'll be, you'll be uh, running the high eighties and low nineties again? Well, I don't know. I'm hoping soon and I hope it's, yeah, it's, it's, I hope the targets start breaking, but I don't know. I went in on, on what Friday I gave it to him, but the, the gentleman wasn't going in the office till Monday. So he, uh, hopefully I'll get it back end of this week, beginning of next. And, uh, today's Wednesday. So I may, it might still show up this week, but I hope they know that I need it urgently. <laughs> so let's change gears a little bit. We've talked about choke tubes. We've talked about barrel length. This is going to be, we've talked about combs and, and uh, ribs and setups. I think we should start talking about uh, the, the finer details like target acquisitions. You know, maybe some, uh, some of the details on, on some of your tips for uh, a newer shooter or maybe even a seasoned veteran that, that is having trouble picking up targets. 
let's talk a little bit about that. Like seeing them or, or sure. I mean, rolling up let, the let, score. Uh, at all of it. Let, let, let's start with, with staying on a trap line. We've talked a little bit about the gun setups. We haven't really talked about being on a trap line, the target pickups, the, the, the competition stresses, that kind of stuff. Some stories about you guys uh, being in tough competitions or maybe you've had a shoot off. You know, that's kind of the direction I was, I was yeah. hoping to, to maybe go a little bit tonight. I don't tonight. like any of those shoot-off stories, but we could tell Well, we could me neither. I've been in a couple, you know, and uh, <laughs> I can tell a story or two based on that too. But Yeah, it's not fun. But yeah, no, no, no. So for the for the target side, so we yeah, we've gone over the gun and why they shoot high. If anybody didn't pick that up, go back and say what kind of the podcast, I don't know, episode 26 or 25, it was what kind of shotgun is this? and uh and learn about the differences between a trap gun and a sporting clay gun and a skeet gun covered that so now you're on the trap line not sporting clays but you're on the trap line and so that target is coming out of that house at 42 mile an hour anywhere from 41 and a half to 42 and a half somewhere in there but on average 42 mile an hour out of that house when you yell pull and in singles which is one of the events versus handicap versus doubles which we can get into that you're at 16 yards from the house and then that target comes out. So now you're going to get two different perspectives and bill you had yours in. We probably got three, but me and dad yep. sitting here, my perspective is a lot different than dad's perspective. So, so sorry, let's catch you up. But the one thing you got to know about the people listening to know about my shooting too, is I'm a lefty. Yeah. <laughs> which is, a, yeah. Which is just a messed up perspective. To start. <laughs> which is completely opposite in some, some respects, but yeah, you guys are both right-hand shooters. Right? Yeah. Well, and let's talk yeah. about that real quick because I get into arguments on this all the time and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I will argue cause I like to, um, but there's, there's some, and now it's gone again, like the hockey stick analogy where an old wooden stick did everybody for 14 bucks. And now you got all the different flexes and, and everything else. It's the same now for, am I left or right-handed? And which is when we do our trap shooting clinic, shotgun clinic, first thing we do, because people will say, well, I'm right-handed, so therefore I shoot a right-handed gun. And I want to get away from the term, and people argue with me, but away from the term right-handed and left-handed gun. It is not, in my mind, it's a right-eye dominant or a left-eye dominant gun. And now there's even more science, and and we can give links. Uh, I've listened to other podcasts and everything else that go way into detail. There's an eye doctor out of the States that is a shooter, and he has now gone even further with percentages of domination of eye and how you overcome and start to train your brain and your eyes to work together to acquire the target quicker and shoot it at like if for sporting clays, I guess it, that that's what really can separate the, the super amazing shooters. They get, they get it. They grasp that, I guess, because uh, for sporting clays, they say you got to be able to lock onto that target is the most important thing. Anybody that you listen to in the pro world, it's, I, I got, I got to lock onto that target. I know where my gun shoots. I know my mount. I know all of that. I know swing. I know everything I need to know. The only thing I'm going to miss a target with is if I don't see the target properly, my brain doesn't process that target with my eyes to my gun. And that's, that's that. Right. So, because they've done it so much. So this doctor has gone through all, it goes to percentages and there's a whole theory on how to figure out which eye is more dominant than the other by what percentage and how you should train and all of this jazz. And I won't get into that because I'm not that 
smart and, and knowledgeable on the subject. What I will do is very basic. We start all of our clinics by saying, are you left or right-handed? Throw that out in the, <laughs> throw it out the window. And, and some people have shot a shotgun for five, six, seven years, come to our clinic. And I say, okay, but you're, you're at our clinic. So you're obviously wanting to learn a little bit more and, and become a little bit better. Not saying we're better than you because you could be better than us, but it's a different perspective. And so my perspective is it's forget left or right-handed. Cause when I started, I grew up as a kid, I'm a left-handed person. And I grew up as a kid playing cops and robbers. I know everybody gasped. <gasps> Kids can't do that today, but I played cops and robbers <laughs> to the point, maybe the, the robbers, the more, Oh my gosh. But anyway, we won't get into that. So we played cops and robbers and I would always hold the gun on my left-hand side, dart guns, nerf guns, any kind of gun would come up to my left-hand side because I was left-handed. When I started shooting, I started, I'm like, dad said, no, we have to figure out what eye dominant you are. And I struggled because I am right eye dominant and I'm left-handed. And do you know how difficult it was for me, like awkward to try and put a gun up on my right side? And so, but I had to because I'm right eye dominant. That is the eye that takes over on shooting a shotgun. That it's, you know, you can, so I'm going to say how to determine that. But uh, which will make it a little more clear. But really, that's what you got to determine and throw out the fact if you're left or right. So some people say, I've seen guys that'll shave their stock down on their trap gun so they can rotate their head right over the stock so that their dominant eye, because they're right-handed, but their left eye dominant, so their dominant eye can be right down the rib. And I'm like, man, wouldn't it have just been easier to put the gun on the other side and learn that yeah. than to go through all of that and, and have this head cockeyed right over. And I mean, there's guys that do all kinds of stuff then to just switch. But for me, yeah. it was literally maybe what that two weeks of yeah. me putting the gun up on my right side. And, and now I can't put a gun up on my left side. I just can't. You do can't. It. I, hey, it's, for me, it's awkward. We talked, yeah. We talked about this before a couple of times, but I, I'm right-handed. I mean, a complete opposite to you. I'm, I'm right. eye. Uh, our left eye dominant, but I, I do everything right-handed. So when I was a kid growing up, my dad always said, cause I didn't grow up with the shotgun side of it. I grew up with the rifle side of it. Yep. And I think I've said this before in another podcast, but when you're shooting a semi-automatic gun that has a right side eject as a left-handed shooter, I'd catch that. Or my dad's thought was I would catch those shells right in my face. So you need to learn how to shoot off your right shoulder. I said, well, okay. I didn't know any better. I was young enough that that because uh, I did the same as you, I picked it up what felt natural, and that was on my left shoulder. Well, no, no, can't do that. Shoot off your right shoulder. So luckily, I trained myself for rifles to be able to shoot off my left shoulder or my right shoulder. For shotguns, I started off on my right shoulder, could not hit the broadside of a barn on a moving target. Switched to my left uh, left shoulder being left eye dominant and the world opened up and I started hitting targets and birds and everything else I was pulling the gun up on. Right. And, and it, it took a little bit to train my eyes and my body for the, the differences. But once I switched the gun to my left side, left eye, it, it just made all the difference in the world. So I'm with you. It's not left-handed or right-handed. It's your eye dominance. It's your left eye, eye dominance. You'd be yeah. surprised at how many people do not know they have a dominant eye and they wonder what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, 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 it, it really is something that, that people don't, and I don't know if it's, I really don't know where, like I've always known it, but I grew up with dad being a hunter and knowing that. 
So I guess if you didn't have any influence in your life and you just decided I'm going to get into hunting you and you go to the store, a lot of times, you know, it's a part-time employee that knows a little bit to be dangerous that maybe they don't tell you or they don't want to impose or they don't know themselves. And, and so you just wouldn't know. And then, so we do have every one of our shotgun clinics. I bet you more than 50%. Well, you've been to three of them, Bill. I bet, I bet you more than yeah. 50% don't know. And we'll have at least, at least two that will be like, Oh my gosh, because we do the test. So the test is, uh, there's different ways to do it. And I mean, again, I'm not getting into the crazy test. Look up the doctor out of the States. I don't even know his name off the, the I used to, but it's, it's slipped my mind, but look him up if you want, you know, it's just shotgun eye doctor in the States test and all this stuff. There's all kinds of info on it. There's YouTube videos, the whole nine yards and, and look that up. If you want to get that crazy for us, the, the basic test just to figure it out is you know, the really simple is you can pick a spot way over on the wall somewhere and then hold your thumb out and cover that spot and then close your right eye or close your left eye. And if your thumb moves, well, then it's the other eye that the way that I do it, cause that I could never get to work is I create a diamond. I put my two hands together with my index fingers crossing and my thumbs crossing. So I have a hole between the palms of my hand and I will hold that dot up. And without thinking, you just start to bring your hands back towards your eyes slowly and it will continue to come to your dominant eye because you don't want to lose sight of that. And if you do it, it subconsciously, don't, don't physically think it will just come right back to your dominant eye. Boom. You figured out your dominant eye. And usually at our course out of 20, 25 people, we'll have a couple that'll be like, Oh crap, I got a switch. And now yep. they're into the dilemma. I bet you we almost, that's almost the first thing we touch on. And I bet you the rest of that morning they're into the dilemma of, I don't know if they retain anything other than when we go out to shoot this afternoon, I got to figure out if I'm shooting from my left-hand side yeah. or my right-hand side. And it's almost a panic, panic. Uh, well, it, feeling, for me, right? it would be right. So yeah. And we've had people go, no, I'm going to stick it out. Or we've had other people go, I'm switching. So, yeah. and then the rest of the weekend they're they're they look awkward trying to put the gun up, but doing it that many times over a weekend. Cause I mean, they're shooting, they're shooting some hundreds of shells. The second, that, yeah. They get used to it. The second question, are you a one-eyed shooter or a two-eyed shooter? Because when you first shoot trap, if you're a two-eyed shooter with both eyes open, fine. You can hold the gun anywhere height-wise or what-wise you feel comfortable with. But if you're a one-eyed shooter, you've got to hold a low gun or you you get a certain angle target, you're not going to see that target till it's well above your barrel and it's too far from the from the trap house. Right. So one-eyed shooters got to hold lower guns automatically. So now we're going into the more differentiators on where, and you asked, so sight picture, picking up that target on a trap target. Yep. And again, trap, not sporting clays, not skeet. So in trap, you do not, the number, the, I don't want to say everything's the number one thing, <laughs> but one of the more prominent things is, you do not want to move that gun until you see the target. You do not want to anticipate which way that target's going because at 16 yards combined with a 42 mile an hour target, if you start to go left and that target comes out right, you're beat. You're done. And so, and, and, and lost target is that you, you ain't getting that back. So that it all comes down to where you pick up the target and the relationship on your, your gun to where that target is. So for me, I am much faster shooter than dad. And again, I am not saying that's good or bad. It is a byproduct. I shoot as quick as I can pick up the target and know I can hit it. 
And that just comes from shooting and shooting and building your sight picture and your subconscious has to take over and say, now's the time to pull the trigger. And I won't realize how fast I'm shooting. I'll just have, you know, like Trevor at the club or say, man, you were shooting fast. I was, I, I didn't even know because I was shooting when I knew it was time to pull the trigger. My brain just took over. And so I hold a little bit lower gun than dad. Well, not than dad, a little bit lower gun than most, but a lot lower than dad. So I will hold maybe an inch over the lip of that house, maybe an inch and a half from the 16 yard line. But again, front front of the house or the back of the house for people that are listening off the back of the house. So where I can see land, right? So where the last, where the lip is to where I can see land, I will hold, I will put an inch and a half of ground between the lip of the house and my barrel. And so when I hold there, because now keep in mind, I'm shooting pretty high. And so I don't have to move my gun as much. In fact, holding in that spot, it's, it's my little sweet spot because now I've got to hold and wait for that target to come above my barrel so that I can pull the trigger because it's got to be up higher. And and to be honest, I couldn't tell you how high, because it all comes down to how fast I shoot that target to how much lead it needs or how high above my barrel it is. So as it climbs, it obviously slows down. So if it's a hard right or a hard left or a a softer right, and it takes me a bit to move over, then I'm not going to shoot as fast as one that comes right out behind my barrel on a straightaway. And it's just there. And my brain goes, holy geez, it's there. I don't have to move the gun. And I could just yeah. pull it just, just a little tiny flick up. And you couldn't even barely tell I could, I'd be doing a little flick up and I will explode it really quick. But again, speed is just the byproduct because my gun shoots high. I hold a bit lower. I've got an unsingle. So I got a lot of rib there that I can see that target coming up out of that house and I could pick it up, see it and just pull the trigger. And it's just, that's what feels natural now over time from shooting. I was never always that style, right? It took me a while to develop that sight picture to know. Now you talk to, you know, guys that do nothing but eat, sleep and breathe trap like Terry Jordan. And, and you listen to some of the, the instructional videos that come out from like Phil Kiner and that where they'll tell you, uh, look 20 yards past the trap house, because that's typically where you're going to break the target or it, it start to move to that target. So look out past the house. I physically tried to, to consciously do that and it screws me up now. So I may do that now. I don't know. Cause when I think about it, I screw up and I, 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 am too busy going. Am I looking way out, way past it? I just know I hold that gun and I don't look right down the sights. Now, before dad tells his side, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story because on LinkedIn, I actually have a buddy that took the clinic four years ago. And Hamza, if you're listening, hi, buddy. But he just messaged me this week. So it's fresh in my mind. And he actually said, you know, I was I, I was going over my notes from when we took your clinic and it said, don't look down the gun like a rifle. Like, don't use those beads like a sight, like crunch right down. You want to look out and and look at the target and have the sight picture developed from shooting your gun. You develop this, you know, where your barrel's got in its subconscious. Again, you know where that barrel's got to be to where the target is. And he goes, I found that I'm not doing that. I am slouching down right on and crushing my face right down on my stock so that I'm looking right down that rib, like, like you'd be looking down a rifle, like through a scope and he's looking right down on it and then trying to track it all hunched up. And he said, I just read my notes where you said, don't do that. 
And he goes, that's what I've always been doing. So I've got to, I'm going to change. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Like you want to have a, sure, a more sure. open stance and trap. You don't want to be crunched right down now. So for some people it works, but the general synopsis is you, you want to be kind of opened up, you know, and, and get your neck out, stretched out on that stock and not looking down right down the rib, but looking out over top so that you can pick up that target. And then the gun will just follow your eyes and, and pull the trigger and away you go. So with that said, that I think was my rendition of looking out past the trap house is you're, yeah. you know, you're not crouched right down because if you do that, a, that target's going to be blocked by the barrel and B it's going to take you a lot longer to acquire that, that because you're looking at beads. You don't want that. And in fact, now, uh, Terry Jordan at our club has taken his middle bead out and he's gone back to painting his end bead black so he can't see it because it's no a distraction. So he doesn't want beads at all. He knows where that gun shoots and he wants them gone. Now I talked to somebody else that shot for many, 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 many years and they told me that they want that white bead because you don't know it. But subconsciously, what is happening is your eyes are actually, and us have caught physically, your eyes are moving rapidly from that barrel to the target, from the barrel to the target, and they need that bead as a reference. And you don't really, you say you're staring at that target, but really your eyes, your brain is going bead target, bead target, bead target, really fast. I never use them. I never use them, but I tell you what I use them for is my pre-shot routine. To make sure you're lined up right, right? So, uh, Don, I don't mean to cut you off because I know that you got a lot of, lot to, to add to this, but I just want to add this one quick point. No, he's point. playing he's, solitaire on his phone. He's good. Oh, <laughs> but pre- <laughs> You're going to get punched. I know it before this, this night is over. He'd have to put down solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for me, to get back under, the pre-shot routine is such an important thing to me because it, it, it creates the, uh, uh, every, uh, every time you're approaching a target, you're doing the same thing. The gun is mounted at the same position on your shoulder, on your face, you're saying the same cadences and rhythms. And, and when you talk about looking beyond the, the, the trap pose, my, my rhythm and cadence from what I, I got taught by Terry is eyes first, right? Meaning that I'll, I'll line up to the right hold on the house, but I'll bring my eyes back to the center of the house where the targets are coming out with that soft focus, almost blurry, until those eyes pick up the target leaving the house. And when the two meet between the end of my barrel, so to speak, and and where that target comes together is when I'm supposed to be pulling the trigger. So the beads for me, I don't I don't consciously, I guess, line them up while the after I've I've yelled or I've called pull, but before it is definitely part of my pre-shot routine to make sure that that alignment is there, both left, right, up, down. So I have pretty much the same spacing between the the middle and the top to assure that my gun is mounted the same way in my brain. And you can contradict me all, you know, from, from, from your experiences, but this is, this is what I do. I'm not breaking the scores that you guys are, but you know, it, uh, it's, it's a function of, of repetition. To well, me. But, but you could break the scores. We are absolutely right. And like tomorrow, because you're there, but to me, it's just, you just haven't, shot as much so you like that your pre-shot routine is a little bit longer doing all those checks right yeah and that i believe the only difference is that amount of time shooting like you take terry then and he's pulling his beads off because he already knows where that gun fits how he mounts it and his check check is when it comes up it's got to touch his shoulder here and his cheek there and it just 
that's his natural feel. He doesn't need the beats, right? And so your pre-shot routine is just make sure you mounted it where once you shoot so much, I would think, and, and I'm just talking off the, the cuff, but I would think, okay, you don't need your beats. I, to this day, and I shoot weekly, still like my beats because I, like you, Bill, when I put my gun up, I'm making sure that I've mounted my gun square. Like my middle bead is in line. Now they're not in line as in up and down. They're in line horizontally. So they're in a straight line with each other. So I got bead, I got a bunch of rib and then my other bead, but they're straight in line. So I know my gun's not off kilter. I'm shooting straight. So I do, I do do that. Right. So absolutely. And And for me to take my beads off, that would mess me up. I think because I'd go, well, how do I know I'm shooting straight? Because right. as much as yeah. I still shoot, I still do that. And maybe it's just natural for me and to take them off would mess up my brain. Cause again, once you shoot so much, it isn't about, you know, knowing how to swing on a target. It's mental. It's just the target you drop is because you were thinking about supper or whatever, which we can get into that after too, but I'll let dad explain his, where he holds and how he shoots. It's, it's very simple for me. First thing I do is when I go out to the line, you look for you look at a target. Are they high targets? Are they low targets? So that determines how high or how low because I like the same amount of timing by the time I pick up the target and swing to it and break it. So if it's low, I can hold a lower gun, swing to it and break it. If it's a high target and I hold down low, then I've got two, it throws my timing off. So then I adjust my, where I hold my gun a little higher over the trap house so that by the time I see it and pick it up, I got that same amount of timing. Now, it's on the station, station three, which is the middle station right over the trap house. Put the gun up, line up the beads like Todd said, but I want a figure eight. I don't shoot as high or as quick as he does. So I know if my beads are sitting on top of one another and I got a figure eight, that's the amount of height I want for that target that's always climbing. That puts my pattern a little higher. I'm not wasting pattern below the target. You're shooting what, 80-20? 80-20. So 80%, so just again, for any listeners that maybe didn't listen to episode 25, 26, whatever it is, shotgun one, is you pick a spot, at 30 yards, you aim right at that spot and pull the trigger. 80% of his pattern will hit above that spot. 20% will hit below that spot. So he's shooting higher than than a normal shotgun. He's shooting 80-20. 80% of target above the, where he's aiming, 20% below. So he's shooting high. He's catching that as that target's rising because it's always climbing and trap. See, the more you shoot, the quicker you get. So the quicker you get the more climb that target's doing. So any target, any pellets below the target are automatically already wasted. They shoot, they go below. You want that target to climb up into your pattern, so you want most of your pattern above that target. So on station three, right straight over the clubhouse. Now what I do is, I, I once I've got the beads lined up and they're straight, I lift my right elbow up and lock the gun to my cheek. Because if I get a left-hand target... And, and I want to go left to that target, I could pull my cheek away from that gun if it's not locked on the gun. If I get a right-hand target and want to swing to the right, I could push the gun away from my cheek. And once that pressure, like whatever that pressure is, once you're used to that feel of your gun, if your cheek leaves the gun, you've changed your side picture, your sight picture. Whether it's left or right, you've changed it. So that tells you when you're in the right position to shoot. So you want to lock that cheek on that gun and you become one with the gun. But you want to be comfortable. You want your neck outstretched, all not scrunched down. You just want to be comfortable. So what I do is I give him a comfortable stand, 
bring my gun to my shoulder, to my cheek, lock it in, make sure everything's lined up. On station four, which is the second station to the right, I hold right on the right-hand corner of the trap house. On station five, I hold outside of the trap house in preparation of that right-hand target. Now, it might not be a right, but if I don't get out there, I'll never catch it. The timing between the time I see it and shoot it, to me, I like to keep the same. Same on station two. Now you're shooting your worst angles left. So I hold in the left-hand corner of the trap house. Station one, I hold outside that corner so that I got time to chase that target and, and break it. And so the, the timing to me is, is uh, very important that you hold the right height, the right position, and uh, make sure your cheeks are locked on and that most of your pattern is above that climbing target. To me, that's the, that's the simple process. And and to drive that home further is it, when when he says then you're you're locked in, you're ready to go. It's once again your brain. They say a stupid shooter makes a good shooter because you can't overthink it. And my point of shooting my trap gun in sporting clays because I know where it shoots. When I have to think about where that gun is relationship to the target. I'm going to miss. It's got to be instinct to just take over. You've got to mount it. You've got to build that sight picture and just let your instinct take over. And so that's pretty much how I hold my gun with my thought process, knowing I can hold here and I just know where it's going to break. So anybody new going out can't just instantly go out and go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to hold here because that's well, where that's, God holds or that's where Terry yeah, holds or that, Bill that's, or Dom. That's the interesting thing. About this, not to cut you off, but the interesting thing is when your dad's talking as a, as a brand new shooter, I've, I I still struggle, uh, and I've been shooting for for years, is to to pick up what is truly a high target and what is a low target. What like what comes out of the house as nominal or or normal mid uh, with no wind, no nothing is obviously affected based on how the wind or the heat or the day or whatever will dip the targets or raise the targets or how that machine is set up inside the house. Right. So the targets as they come out of the house have to be within a range to be legal. That's that's true. Yes. They're not always always legal and you can can have them change from trap to trap. In fact, your squad well, you see one, you look at one, and is everybody happy? And if the consensus is, no, they're too low, let's raise them. Okay, if they're but too high, let's Before you lower. get there, yes, there is, if you're shooting ATA, Amateur Trap Shooting Association, which is, again, as pro as you get with American Trap. But that is, it has a rule book. And yes, that's where the 42 mile an hour rule comes from. And that is, there is a height at a certain distance that that target should be on a straightaway and a lot of clubs will have a t-bar they take out and at so many yards it's so at such a speed and that target's got to hit that t that cross exactly and that's a regulation target as the day goes on and those machines uh, a lot of them like a, a pat trap is a type of machine has a rubber band and that rubber band heats up it changes that machine's dynamic and how it's throwing and so it could be that weather a wind could come up or even the club just the way that the the breeze shifts and all of a sudden, those targets are either going to get thrown higher or dove down. So as Dad says, when you go to the line, it, you're allowed to say within reason, wait a minute, those look really high to me. If the whole squad is in agreement to lower them or raise them, again, within reason, 
then yes, now you call over somebody, they can go out and they will raise it or lower it based on what should be as close to a regulation target as possible. Now, to finish, though, how I pick up the target, once I'm set, once my cheek's locked in, I do not, I'm like you, Bill. I do not keep my eyes focused down that barrel. When I call for that target, what I do is I make a habit of opening my eyes wider because then that causes me to look to the middle of the trap house, regardless of where my gun, my gun is. As soon as I yell pull, then my eyes, I open my eyes wide, and that causes my peripheral vision to go to the center of the trap house and pick up that target and define the angle. And then that allows me to start moving in the direction. And then, like you say, as the target progresses, eventually your gun and your barrel or your gun and your eyes line up and come past the target and, and swing through it and shoot it. But uh, to go ahead with that high and low stuff, if you've got a day that the wind is gusting, if it's gusting at you, you could get five beautiful targets in a row, and then the next one, the wind gusts and makes it climb right up out of, your, right out of sight, which you just have to deal with. You just have to be prepared for them. If the wind's from behind you, then it blows them down. So you just got to be prepared to move the gun down you got to know where your gun's shooting. So I know if I get a low target, I've only got 20% of pattern below that target. So I've got to physically get down. If I get a high one, I can just keep throwing the gun up and hope I catch it. And I've got 80% above. So I hit a high ones easier than I do low ones. That's why I always yeah. liked high targets. I, don't, I never complain about high targets. And that's where Todd and I have a disadvantage because we're, we're not – me, I'm shooting 110 uh, – and I think you're shooting a little bit higher than that, aren't you, Todd? Well, and I raised it up a little bit more yet. As again, <laughs> like Dad said, as you shoot and as you you just pick them up quicker, you you get yeah. it becomes it feels like work, right? Like you're you're having to track that target. I'm like, man, I'm having to track that target too too much. And then you raise it, you raise your comb again where my cheek goes just a little bit, and then oh, there it's easy again. And so I've technically adjusted that sight picture a little bit, but it's to save me having to move the gun so much because even though it, to somebody else it might not look like I'm moving it that much to me it's just oh this is so it's it's it, why is it so oh I'm gonna move it up and oh yeah there that's so much easier find the sweet spot yeah I don't yeah. have to move it it's, and it's just because you're probably it probably pretty much are picking it up just a little bit quicker your brain is processing it a little bit quicker therefore you're shooting a little bit quicker so it's now time to move that comb up and it'll just, when you do it, it'll be like, oh yeah, that's, that's better. That's, that's easier again. And now you may be shooting a little bit quicker again and people go, wow, you're shooting a little bit faster. Put that out of your head. That's just the byproduct of your brain working, right? Turn everything off, let your brain work. And that is the byproduct is the speed. So you don't want to be a fast shooter. Dad can shoot. And I think we should, and I'm going to relate this to hunting and then we can end with dad telling one of his trap shooting stories on, uh, on such, but it, with relating it to hunting, like dad said, because a lot of our listeners that I, I, I know a lot of our listeners, so I know a lot of them are hunters, but with that said, how do you relate this? Well, f simple. When you come up on that goose, when you come up on the duck, the turkey's a little different story, but the rabbits, you gotta have, you gotta know where that gun shoots, and you just gotta be able to pull it up and pitch and and focus on that goose, focus on that duck, and you will know. Your brain knows where to put that gun. Your brain knows how far to lead it. Your brain knows all of that. Quit trying to second guess it and trust it. 
And it just, all of a sudden you'll start hitting ducks and geese. And it is a hard thing for a new hunter to go out or somebody that's hunted, you know, deer with a rifle and then they go waterfowl hunting with their buddies and they're, they're awkward or afraid to go out because they're going to pull the trigger and probably miss, but they're second guessing themselves. If you just throw that gun up and pull the trigger that for me, that's when they fall because you let the brain take over and it comes down to knowing where the gun shoots, but no one to, when you bring it up, having that mount just down so you don't have to think about it, bring the gun up that lock it in a bit with that elbow. And again, that's up to person's perspective on how high they want to raise the elbow to lock that in. I do believe that raising that elbow is a good feature because you get something swinging hard left. You're not going to hit anything. If your head's not on that stock, if it, if you, if you've moved away, right. Cause now your eyes aren't lined up where they need to be. And if your head, that's yeah. when I miss targets is and bill Chilton, one of dad's buddies. If I miss a target in a competition, he'll walk out, smack me in the back of the head and say, hey, you idiot, quit lifting your head. <laughs> and, yeah. and I won't know what I did, but he'll know. And oh yeah, he's right. I got to stay in the gun with doubles. I gotta, I know it. I gotta stay. You, I gotta physically, mentally keep telling myself to keep my head on the stock, stay in the gun. And when it comes to goose and ducks, you're taking more than one shot. Can't take the shot, lift the head to see you've got to stay in the gun so that you can get on to the next one and get on the next one and keep that cheek and that elbow helps that cheek stay locked in with the recoil of those three and a half inches. Right? So, so that is kind of the related to the hunting thing. And with rabbits, it, you don't have time for any of that anyway. That's why I got, I, I love hunting rabbits and I smash rabbits like crazy because they jump out so fast. You don't have time to think if that rabbit is way Impulse. down there and stops Impulse. and looks at me, oh, chances are I'm going to miss that darn thing versus yeah. running out at 10 yards and just letting my subconscious take over, go rabbit, boom, bang, there you hit it. Holy crap. How did I hit that? And that's awesome. But yeah, so it, there, there's so much I want, I want to talk about about the, the mental side, but in the interest of time. Oh yeah, you know, well it, we're going to come it, back again. to this again, right? Like absolutely, yeah, no. <laughs> we've got so much more. I mean, we got hours sure. and hours and hours and hours and and other resources we can tap. And oh my gosh, yes, insane. Yeah, from the from the mental side, the setup, how to get to a gun club, how to feel comfortable at a gun club, all that kind of stuff. I think is important for our listeners yeah. to to understand and, and to know. And I, I think we've touched a little bit on that in other, other podcasts, but uh, to end this one up, I'm interested to hear some, uh, something uh, special, some stories, some tips. Yeah, well, that, uh, I, I'm going to lead in. So. Yeah. I'm going to lead in. And like uh, most of our podcasts, this one got pretty technical. <laughs> so, but yeah, it is it, what it is. Sure. I mean, that's, that's trap shooting, right. And, and shotgunning in general, when you start to get into it, just like the freaking hockey stick that used to be 14 bucks, that's now 400 and you got to know your body weight and everything else. So that, that, that's now everything it's shotgunning included, but I'm going to lead in and hopefully like all of our other podcasts where we tell the stories, uh, you, hopefully you could pick something out of these, this story. And, and that's how I've learned to hunt my whole life, right? Is listening to dad and his buddies talk and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then when I'm in the tree stand, I pull those stories back and utilize them. And so hopefully this can help. I don't know, but it's a great story anyway. So I'm going to lead dad in and then he could tell the story. And of course, I'm not going to let him tell the whole thing. I'm going to have to chime in, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, he'll be wrong. He can't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go that dad, Shot trap for years. Didn't always shoot ATA registered targets. I mean, it's a, a little bit more money and a little bit more expense. And me and my sister had different ideas when we were growing up than what he should spend his money on than that. So 
then fast forward to, and he shot, we had a, a local league, a winter inner club that did well in forever. And so now fast forward that I want to go shoot some ATA. We shooting some ATA and dad had never shot a hundred straight. And so that there's a couple steps when you get into trap shooting, obviously your first 25 straight, and there's a badge for that. There's also a badge for 50 and 75, but they're not as important as the 100 straight. Because once you shot 25 straight, you start knocking out 25s pretty easily, pretty regularly. Then the the one is because you got to stay mentally focused in a big competition for 100 straight. And it's not a practice 100 straight. That doesn't count. It's in a competition. And so 100 straight's a big deal. Then the next step is the 200 straight. And so dad had never shot the hundred straight and a couple years ago in in ATA. Yeah. In practice. Okay. But I always say that doesn't count because there's no pressure or nothing, right? Like you just go out and smash targets. And again, anybody that goes out on the farm and throw it shoots them from the thrower that that's fun. It's not the same as like an ATA competition trap target pressures on 250 shooters, 300, maybe down 750, a thousand shooters. Like it's a big deal. Your name's going to be on a board. And so ego plays a big role, especially when you're a trap shooter. So if you ever been to a guide club, you, that'll back me up in itself. So the, uh, a couple of years ago, we hit the provincials it sponsored at the time brand ambassador for black goose had these really hot shells and, and head out there and away we go. And so dad hits the line and that provincials, I don't know how many 99s you shot. Oh. But you came away. I got pictures. He won five awards at that provincials. There's a total of nine events, and he won five. He has a silver plate, a buckle. He won a, won a bunch of stuff. Won five five events in in, in his class with ninety nines, and uh, but not the hundred. So then I don't. Was it that year or was it the next, next year? year? It was the next year. We're at the team shoot at our home club in St. Thomas, and the team shoot. This was kind of cool. So it's two hundred targets. And you're on a team, you shoot 100 in the morning and you shoot 100 in the afternoon. And so we are on a team and of course your team is your buddies. And so that's what made this really cool. So there's myself, there's Scotty, there's Trevor Blair from our gun club, good buddy of ours, and the who we call... It was Trevor. Yeah, Trevor was on our yes, squad. Scott, yeah, yeah, the growler, who we call the growler, who is a really good buddy. He's from up north, and uh, his actual name is Peter Tarnowski, but it, we call him the growler. If you've ever heard him shoot, he it, you can hear him from one end of the gun club to the other. When he calls for a target, it's not pull. It's <laughs> until he pulls the trigger. So he's the growler, and then Dad. And so Dad, not having shot that 100 straight, we go to the line. And he shoots the first 25 straight. And you take over. You tell the story now. Well, shoots the, it really doesn't get good until after we've shot 75. And so now there's a lot of pressure because who cares if we win? Who cares how we do? At this point, I don't even care if I shoot a 40 because I am so focused on dad that he's 75 straight. And in it, it's such a mental game that you don't, want to talk to anybody and and for people that might have shot a lot of hundred straights not a big deal for somebody that is is strong like your first hundred straight you know you're 75 straight you know this 25 targets you could finally get your hundred straight this is a big deal and for us it was a really big deal and so i i'm keeping everybody i you don't want to talk to you a 
when I shot my first hundred straight after my 50, I didn't want to talk to anybody because you know, you're in the zone, you're crushing targets and you're not chipping them. You're pounding them. This could be the day that I do the hundred straight. And after 50, I don't want to talk to somebody. I'm between 25s. I'm walking away. I'm isolating myself. You know, don't come near me. Everybody knows. Okay. Don't go near him. He's 50 straight. Oh, now he's 75 straight. Don't go near him. So now dad has shot 75 Dad is now 75 straight. I will now let dad take over. Okay, so it, on top of that, our gun club, if you shoot 100 straight at a, reg, at a registered shoot, you get your name on a plaque forever in our clubhouse. And uh, so for all these years, I've never had that 70 or that 100 straight to get my name on that plaque. So I'm 75 straight at this shoot. I am in the zone, and uh, like everything is just working great, and I think I just got to keep it together for another 25. So we're about about 8 or 9 or 10 targets into the last 25, and the clouds roll in, and it starts to rain. And it's coming down pretty good, and I'm just focused. I got rain running off. the. I pull the peak of my hat way over so it don't run down on my glasses, and I'm, I'm shooting through the rain, and it's shooting so heavy, you can sh- see the shot cut a path through the rain. And I remember thinking, this is so cool. We should make a big tent and just pour water down and shoot targets so you could see if you're in front of them or behind them because you could see the shot cut a pattern through the rain. And I am on the zone, and I'm thinking, okay, don't call this shoot. Don't call this shoot. i got to finish this 25. Well, if there's lightning, they make you stop for a while. Well, I didn't see any lightning, and I'm shooting away, and then it comes, it comes my— <laughs> Okay, I got to chime in. Didn't see any lightning. It's more than that. This rain is coming down like you would not believe. I mean, we are soaked. The raindrops are the size of toonies. When they hit me on the head, it's almost knocking me over. I mean, this ain't hail. It's rain coming down. And, I mean, we are. when you pull the trigger, you watch your shot rip through and make a tunnel— through that rain right to the target. Like it was for anybody who hasn't, hasn't experienced that before. We were at your clinic a couple of years ago and that happened for the first time for me, it was raining so hard and the shot going through that Don, you're absolutely right. You can see, Oh yeah. A little bit behind that one or Oh, no, it's right on it. It's yeah. a neat thing. And if you're looking at that from the side, I bet you it would be even, even cooler to see that shot oh, straight yeah. coming across. It would be wicked to record that. Like it is, it is just rips right through it. I, and you could just stand up. You're soaking wet. You're dripping. I mean, it is just coming down on you, and your shots are ripping right through, making a tunnel to the target. It's freaking awesome. It's, it's neat. So I'm focused. I'm not looking left or right. I am just picturing those targets in my mind between shots one after the other i have the voices memorized i know who's calling i know the guy next to me when it's he not calls hard with the growler i'm you, next you know well, yeah. when it's your turn yeah. <laughs> and okay so it's a uh, one more shooter and i'm ready to go and they don't call and so i'm sending the red i'm on the ready they don't call and i look over and nobody's on the line and i thought wait a minute what's going on and then they're back They're back at the bench. And see, the, the other thing that throws you off, too, because you shoot 50 targets from one trap, and then you move to another 50. Oh, this one, we were shooting 25, 25, 25, Oh, that's 25. right. We were moving every time. Every 25. So every time you move. a different trap house, a different bank. So you had, to, you had to consciously determine, are these targets high? Are they low? 
and and adjust your gun. And then you sometimes, if you catch the, the squad in front of you, you would have to stand there for 10 or 15 minutes, which let you cool off, get out of the zone. So you, in between these 25s, you had to stay focused. And you're mentally getting destroyed. I mean, yeah. it, there's, it, there's no physical labor that can prepare you for how tired you will be after that so we're, thought process. We're in the last 25. Head in the game. And I turn around, and then they realize that I haven't heard that they've called to shoot. And, and <laughs> for the record, they blow the biggest air horn on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and it's rated so hard, we were waiting. There it is. We're gone. <laughs> like, I'm out the so door. Todd's waving. Come on. I went, no, no, no. Yeah, what were you, like 83 in, 84 uh, targets? You had 17 yeah, I had to another, go? Yeah, I had another 15 or 16 targets yeah. to go. And so anyway, we I make the trek back to our two tents because we set up two of those canopies and we take 10 lawn chairs because we always get all kinds of people. You were saying earlier about feeling welcome at a gun club. We're conscious of that. There's new shooters. There's people that don't know a lot of people. And there's never enough places to sit. And we invite people to come in and get to know them and sit in our chairs, make them welcome. And now they look for us. And we've created some of the best friends. So I go back to the two tents to get out of the rain. And I sit in a chair. And, of course, there's all these chairs around me. And everybody's head and standing room only under there. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to talk to anybody, but I got to be out under the yeah. rain. Well, Todd yeah. physically keeps people away from me. He at, knows how I'm feeling. At this point, he is 84 targets straight. He's going for his first 100. And so for, for us, that's a big, big freaking deal. For his sure. his yeah. name's going on the plaque in the clubhouse. He's now going to get that 100 straight badge. He's going to get in the... In the trap shooting magazine that comes out, Field and Trap, every month, his name's going to be in there that he ran 100 straight. Like, this is all coming down the pipe. He's only got to shoot 16 more targets. But we've already been 40 minutes to this point of the mental thought process to get here. Now he's got to wait even longer the whole time trying to keep your head in the game. And, oh, I just, insane. <laughs> So Todd's keeping people away from me. And I, you know, I feel like the Rain Man in the movie. I'm sitting there in a chair rocking. And I, and I think, oh, my gosh, I'm You've rocking. You've watched the Rain Man? Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, <laughs> I've oh, never seen the Rain Man. I'm thinking, I have no inkling to watch the Rain Man. I'm thinking, you oh, my. go hang with Bill and drink tea. Uh, thinking, oh, my gosh, I, I'm rocking. All I'm doing is thinking about targets. I'm mentally putting the gun up, shooting the target, putting the gun up, shooting the target. I'm, and I don't know, it was only 20, 25 minutes we were off, but were they a long 25 minutes? So finally they let us go back, shoot. Okay, guys, let's go. Let's get back out there and finish yeah. this shoot yeah. they hadn't seen lightning you can't see lightning for 15 minutes and then they'll let you go so 25 minutes and we're out there on the line so we pick it up so and for me i was still focused the targets were still looking good i'm on station five because i usually always start on station yeah, one so let me stop you dad is lead off all the time so he's station one so he's the guy that starts the round so it's either him or the growler and so he's he's the guy that starts it so he's going to be the person that shoots his 100th target first because you you go one, then one, then one, then one, then one. So all five guys shoot one, and then it comes back to the first guy. And then two, and two, and two, and two, and two. And all five guys shoot their second. It comes back to the first guy. So he's going to shoot that 100th target. He will shoot it before the rest of us finish our round. They'll we'll have still, one more target We'll each. still all be on 99 target shot at. Dad will have shot 
A hundred. Okay. So I'm, I'm down. I got two targets left. And I'm focused. I'm trying not to think, am I going to get a screaming right or am I going to get a quarter angle? Okay, hold the same height. Hey, I've never asked you this. Was that gun heavy? No, it never got heavy. That's what I said. I was in the zone. It never got heavy. It never got difficult. Your and arms I, never kind of no, hesitated arms, to move? No, and I've had that. I in, in an eastern zone or a western zone shoot, I shot a 99 eastern, because eastern I was down to my last five or six targets for the 100. And it, my arms felt like lead. The gun got heavy. It seemed like it was forever to swing. And I shot behind one. Oh, well, then it was easy again. I shot the last four targets, no problem. But I ended up with a 99. And that's what always happens to me. But no, I was in the zone. I was feeling good. And I remember the, <coughs> excuse me, the second to last target, I held the gun out there. It was a screaming right. I thought, this one's easy. Swang out, broke it. And then the next one I held out. And uh, it was a quarter angle, and I thought, okay, I just got to bring the gun up, wait for Did it. Did you think? There it is. You were thinking all this. Thinking that. There it is. I just bring the gun up and, and wait for it. Boom. And it broke. And it was just the easiest pie. And I went, I did it. And I didn't look at anybody no, else. No. I didn't move. My turn. I just thought, I did it. And I, <laughs> and I, I waited for, I kind of turned left to wait for everybody else to shoot their last target. Well, Todd can take over. Yeah, okay. I'm pulling the <laughs> mic down. <laughs> so when this happens, Dad shoots that last target. Our whole squad, of course, knew. I think half of the guys that were under the tent or all of them that were under a tent while it was raining knew because I was telling them. I was keeping everybody away. Hey, don't talk to Dad. You know, this is a big deal for us. Yada, yada, yada. And uh, so dad hammers that. Now, the one thing about a competition, you go out to practice, not a big deal. In fact, you go to practice with Todd, you are going to get chirping and having uh, <laughs> hooting and hollering. And, and some guys might get mad at me, but I'm, I'm having fun. In an ATA competition, you don't do that. You do not talk. You do not breathe. You don't move. You don't do anything to interrupt the other shooters. It is a focused thing. Again, once you've developed all of that sight picture and everything, everything becomes mental. And so when dad breaks that 90, that 100 target and he hits, it's 100, the four of us still have to shoot. Trevor on the line is the first one to break the silence. And, and, and I don't know how many ATA shoots he shot at. Maybe not that many at that time. And because uh, he was, he's, he's a bit of a newer shooter, maybe three, four years. But he lets out the loudest, longest, highest pitch. Yeah! <laughs> I have. I think the whole club stops <laughs> shooting and looks down. And I physically, at that time, I thought I looked down the line and like guys are looking down at us, going, "What the flip?" And I thought, "Screw it, it's done now." So yeah. <laughs> so Scotty runs over and gives Dad a hug. We all over there high fiving and hooting and hollering, and we all still got a target to shoot. And I think everybody at the club's looking down at us like we're ding-dongs and you're ignorant jerks. But <laughs> for us, this was huge. I mean, this is how many years in the making, how many years talked about internally in our circle, and it just happened. Like, I don't even know if I hit my last target. Didn't even care. Let's shoot. Didn't even matter at that point. Don't even care. No, it doesn't matter. Let's go. And so, yeah, it was pretty freaking awesome. I mean, we we partied on the line, and, yeah. and that growler's go, good job, Donnie, yeah, way to go. I mean, we, yeah. were, we were not quiet. It was awesome. Well, so we, did, we didn't hurry. They shot their last targets each. That was four more shots. 
And then we just turn and start to walk, and I'm pretty happy. Well, we had had a clinic. was only a week or two weeks before, right? Yep, yep. And uh, Corey and Lucas, father and son, came to the clinic. Well, Lucas was only 12 years old. And uh, he he never shot trap. Before oh, that's the, right. He was standing there waiting. Yeah, he never he was, shot trap before uh, the clinic. Before the clinic. And here we are a week later from the clinic. And no, he, it was a it was a it was a couple months, but it was his first ATA shoot. Yeah, it was his first. Yeah. Well, maybe it was a couple months, but anyway, it was yeah. this was his first registered ATA shoot, and he is shooting ATA registered targets. Twelve years old after just taking the clinic a month or two before this, and he's standing midfield waiting for me to walk off. And he says, and he stuck out his hand and he says, "Congratulations, Don." And I said, "Thanks, Lucas. Thank you. I really appreciate that." And he says, "Look at the hat." And here's his hat full of holes. And I went, "Oh my gosh!" He had shot his first twenty-five straight at that shoot the same day, the same day that that I'd shot the hundred. And of course, they threw his hat in the air and then they blasted it full of holes. And he was so proud of having that hat shot because he'd heard he shot his first registered twenty-five straight after taking our clinic. So we really celebrated when we got back to the clinic. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's a worst congratulations and that's a lifetime achievement uh, coming together like that. I wish I was there to see that. Yeah, yeah. That that sounded like. It was awesome so for us it was cool too because now both our names are on that plaque at the club which is kind of wicked right aside from like the the other that the club championship and stuff like this is registered ata target so that's why it's a big deal for now, us i'm gonna finish on a sadder note and then i'm not gonna say another thing you promise uh, like ever uh, okay go to mute moot moot <laughs> in the afternoon was handicap or, or the next day was handicap <laughs> anyway handicap i <laughs> At that point, I was a 21-yard shooter, which meant that I no longer shoot at the 16-yard for handicap. 20-yard, no longer 21. shoot 20, I, I shoot yard. back to 21. That's what I was, 21-yard shooter. And so here we are in the handicap, and what do I do, Bill? I shoot a 99. So, so. I'm still trying to get my— <laughs> But in the my, caps— that's good. I'm still and trying you, to get you, my yeah, name. Yeah, no, no question. You won the caps that day with that yeah. 99. And I got a yard punch, so now I'm 22 yards. But I'm still trying to get my name on the on the handicap plaque in the clubhouse that's, now. On 100 and straight, that's a bigger feat. On 100 feet. straight, well, that's I tell a you what, I mean, but that's I what did, it's all about. To put that into pers- perspective, nobody shot 100 straight until two years ago. In the in the Canadians or something like that, or it's something huge. It's a it's a big deal in Canada for that to to happen. But yeah, happens happens all the time at big shoots down the states. But I thought somebody said something like that. I don't have to ask Emily about it, but it was the in the provincials or the Canadians. Nobody had ever ran a hundred straight in the Canadians until in the handicap of the Canadians until two years ago or a year ago or something crazy like that. So it's it's a it, that'll tell you it's a big big deal to shoot a hundred straight from the caps in my mind that's that's huge. But my reflexes and my eyes are not getting better; they're getting worse. So I've got a short time to try and get my name and on that ears. one. But I'm happy. I've had a good life shooting. I've had a lot of fun. And that'll do it for this week, folks, for the Redneck Country Podcast. I'm Bill, the Almost Guy, Tom. And I'm Todd, and thanks for listening. And folks, if you want to be part of the podcast or you want to give us some feedback or really contact us about anything, feel free to email us at podcast at theredneckcountry.com. Again, that's podcast at theredneckcountry.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week.